0: Welcome back to post game content. Whew. It feels good to shake off these cobwebs a little bit. I'll tell you what. How are you feeling? I am joined yet again by my co-host Michael. Michael, how are
1: you doing? I'm all right. It does. It is. <laughs> it has been a while. It's like there's at least an episode every month as promised, but mm-hmm. it's just like when it happens, it's kind of ethereal. But uh, post game content, baby. Do we over-promise? No. Do we under-promise? Also no. <laughs> Do we over-deliver? Almost never. <laughs> eh, fucking absolutely not. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, no, it's just been... There's just a lot of life things happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm... You know... I, for you, there's also been a lot of life things happening. So... Uh, we just had there to, are happenings. to kind of roll with the punches here. Yeah. And you know what, listener, it's none of your business. You're just gonna have to deal with that. So guess what?
0: <laughs> you get us for like three hours every month, and that's what you get. <laughs>
1: if you're in the Discord, you could likely pick up on some of the context occasionally. But uh but yeah, we just kind of do what we need to do. Y'all you, you all got two free video games, $120 in video games. So deal with it. That's your that's your olive branch. <laughs> So, also congratulations, and <laughs> and to the rest of our listeners, we love you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had they, had, I forget which order it was, but one of Darth Egg won. Yeah, Darth Egg won Last of Us, and the Ham yeah, yeah, Ridge yeah. won uh, Dead Space, and they were like, "What if we swapped instead?" And I'm just—I don't have the energy nor the the time to give a shit. So I was like, "Yeah, that's totally fine. Whatever. Sure, it's fine. It costs me good. nothing." <laughs> so, because I promise you, if it had taken any effort to swap them, I wouldn't have done it. Because that's how little effort I put into this type of thing. We're coming in hot right out of the gate.
0: Just fuck oh my you God, I for saw, expecting you more want a of free us.
1: video game. What more do you want? <laughs>
0: Oh, so we're we're recording this right on the uh, the eve of the Resident Evil 4 remake coming out, which I I assume is the reason that you're still alive and
1: and hanging on with us. <laughs> yeah, I'm um I'm pretty excited. Um, like I mentioned before, we started actually recording. I uh, got plenty of sleep last night and. I anticipate that holding me over for my however late I stay up tonight (laughs) because according to Steam, it drops at midnight. So, um, oh, we'll see, we'll see if that actually like happens tonight or if I spend the majority of my day tomorrow playing it. So we'll see, but yeah, it it looks really good. Did you get the chance to play through the demo? I still haven't. Um, I've
0: been meaning to do that and I'm trying to balance out my weekend between. Remake and also going through the Diablo 4 beta which is mm. coming out
1: I think on Saturday. I also I, I am Yes, go ahead. Very curious about that. <laughs> I Watched some streams of the uh, the Diablo 4 beta and it looks pretty good um, I'm one of the few that like I've I liked the mechanics of two but I liked how easily three played like because, like, yeah. 2 was much more hardcore than 3 was. And that's fine. Like, I just think there's they're just two separate games. They're not sequels. They're just two separate things. I think that's um, a good way to think about them. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I liked 3 more because it was much more accessible and easy for me to just mindlessly play. And 4 right. felt like that to me. But it also felt a little more catered to the hardcore crowd which is fine as long as it's accessible at first. And it it felt like that from what I watched people play of it. So I'm excited to give it a shot. There's probably
0: a good middle ground to be found there where it felt like in, in Diablo three, my choices in the skills that I invested in just didn't matter. I was going to make it through no matter what I, I threw at the wall. Um, and, and Diablo two, it feels like you could very easily just stick yourself if you didn't Mm -hmm. wisely invest your points. Um, there's probably a middle ground, and I, I'm hopeful that Diablo 4 finds it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Honestly, like, it wasn't until, like, my fourth playthrough of Diablo 3. Yes, I did four playthroughs. We we put a lot of hours into that <laughs> game back in the day. But, like, until we actually, like, scaled the difficulty, because there's, like, what, nine difficulties in that game or something. Yeah, it's a ton. Um, But, like, up in the, the upper echelon of difficulties, did it actually get challenging, so... But yeah, I'm excited to see what the future brings with Diablo, but Resident Evil 4 remake, no sense I'm playing the demo now, Max. You're like right there. Like by the time this releases, it's already out. So that's a that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, look,
0: I'll just end up buying it and playing through it and I don't know. That'll end up being an episode, I'm sure. At some point, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> Maybe if we, if we want to get... <laughs> Go ahead. That's not the episode we have tonight, is it? Sure isn't. Thank God. Nope. <laughs> tonight we are covering a game called Returnal. And uh, I, I have to give you credit, Michael, for putting me onto this game. Because I think this would probably be one that I would have missed. Um had you not talked to me about it ahead of time. Because um, you played it when it originally released on the PS5, right? That is correct, yes. Yeah. And so when it came to PC, it was, it, it was kind of a quiet fanfare. It feels like it didn't get a lot of the hype that I was really expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I probably would have missed out on it and would have missed out on a legitimately fantastic game.
1: Yeah, i I was really lucky to have played this game because I had originally bought a PlayStation five way back in the day for demon souls. And then a friend of mine, I hadn't touched it since. And then, um, I was like, yeah, this thing's just kind of collecting dust. And Mm. then a friend of mine who had actually got it through, he actually ended up getting two of them. He's like, Hey, my, my nephews are looking for one for Christmas. Um, they were really hard to find. He's like, can I just, if you're not going to use it, can I just buy it back off of you for the, you know for retail I was like yeah man like that's totally fun for the kids whatever um so i didn't have one and then he had actually picked up returnal and this is justin out there if you're listening talking about you he had returnal and then he was gone away for a weekend and he let me borrow his playstation 5 he's like you've got to try this game and dude <laughs> i was hooked instantly i mean this thing this game is like made for me like everything about it um And I think that's actually like part of the reason this game has flown so low, like below the radar, it's because everything about this game, if you try to describe it, like falls into these genres that are all extremely saturated. And like the marketing for it doesn't do it any favors. But there isn't another way to market it. It's like, oh, it's a roguelite. Oh, it's an action shooter. It's a bullet hell. Like all of those have like their own niches that are well above like on their own successful. And no one's going to stray away from like the top fives in each of those categories. But sure, this deserves a shot. Because it is all of those things, yet none of those things at the same time. I think that's a great point, is that Returnal sort of exists
0: sort of within those spaces. Where, like, is it a roguelike? Yes, kinda. But it's not put together in the same way that I think a lot of other roguelikes are. Mm. Um, is it a bullet hell? Kinda. But it's not put together in the same way that I think a lot of other bullet hills are. Um, you know, it it sort of has has found its own sort of niche somewhere in between those genres um which can you're right make it a tough sell for somebody who's goes in with a a sort of set expectation of what this game is going to play like um but i think a lot of that disappears the minute you get your hands on the controller and just feel how how intuitive and fun it is to control Celine. um to, to sort of get a sense of how responsive and how fast the game is. Um, yes. that That, I think, is one of the major selling, or at least for me, like in the first few minutes of the game was something that really sold me on it, of like, oh, okay. So I'm not fighting a lot of con- controls here, and I think that makes you own a lot more of your mistakes as you get into the game because you have so much fluidity and so much movement um, and you're so fast. When you fuck up, generally it's pretty obvious how you fucked up. Yeah, for
1: sure. That's that's like one of my favorite things about this game right out the right out of the gate was just how like how accessible the control scheme was, like you had mentioned. Because mm-hmm. like I just instantly felt like I had control of Celine, like in the second room. Like I was like, Yep, I know every single mechanic already. Like yeah. it's just you just click so fast with this, um, and like there, it's hard. It's tough because like whenever you talk about like controls for a game, it's not really something how well they stick. It's it's hard to put into words. But I guess the best way to to describe it is, I'll talk about the the plot of the game here a little bit. I feel like whenever they develop the the controls for this game, they put a lot of time and effort into making it feel so natural. Because as this game had the roguelite element of this game is that Celine wakes up on this planet and then as she's moving through this planet she's finding these like corpses that look like exactly like her and these audio logs of her talking and she's like what the hell is going on? And then she starts to realize that she's in this cycle. So even at the beginning of this game Celine is not like this is not the first time being on this alien planet. It is part of you're dead in the middle of her trying to discover what this cycle is. You don't even know how many times she's died and come back. So natively, right out of the gate, there's no like hardcore tutorial. Like the game utilizes very easy to grasp mechanics, like very fluid. Like tap the stick to da or tap the stick to run faster. You know, uh, X to jump. Like very easy control schemes because I think the fact is that Selene would have known how to do all those instinctual things, just like you yeah. would instinctually know how to make those movements and the, do those things. And that's um, something that I... Th- oh, go ahead. No,
0: you're good. Go ahead. I think that's something that I really appreciate about, appreciate about this game is that um, a lot of the core mechanics like you were talking about, like the um, the narrative... Um, are all sort of informed by this gameplay concept of the loop. Um, it's dedicated to being a roguelike and understanding that a roguelike is inherently cyclical and okay. What kind of story does that allow us to, to tell? Um, which which means that the, the narrative in Returnal doesn't play out like a lot of other video games which I could understand being difficult and and sort of controversial for a lot of people who go in looking for a sort of more traditional A to B kind of story, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Returnal doesn't do that and doesn't ever try to do that. Um, I platinumed this game. I went through every piece of content that was humanly possible to get through in this game. And guess it's what? Such a monster. I don't, I don't have any fucking idea what's going on, and <laughs> neither does anybody else, and that's fine.
1: <laughs> I do I do like that about the game that the majority of the plot is open to like this vast interpretation because there's like the game stacks the story on itself. Like it's it's very layered. There's like this mm-hmm. there's like what you can see And there's what Celine feels. And then there's like this weird mesh in between where the game like overlaps on itself. Like the the 20th century quote quote, unquote 20th century home or house like in the middle of this like alien planet is like the crux of where like the story intersects with the gameplay. And it feels out of place. It's supposed to feel out of place. And it literally changes how you play the game. It turns into like a first-person horror game when you walk inside. And I feel like that's just completely intentional is because they want that part of the game to feel entirely separate. And even when, if you wander into the Tower of Sisyphus, where the story ends up continuing, in a sense, Mm -hmm. that theme continues. You know, your, your cyclical pattern of going up the tower, but at the base of the tower, depending on how much progression you get, there's things that are unlocked and I love how like there's the base I'm on the planet I'm trying to escape and then whatever happened on earth and then there's like that weird mixture of the two I think it's very it's very well done Um, yeah because you lean one direction too far in either direction the balance is off and then it becomes all about one thing and then everyone's just like well what was that so yes a pat or it's a balance and i think they really nailed it just to
0: just to put it in plain terms for people who haven't played the game um like michael was saying the the plot that you play through in the game is uh, uh you play as Celine, who crash lands on a planet realizes that she's stuck in a time loop there where every time she dies she returns to the site of the crash and has to try to escape the planet again and again and again um In the course of exploring this planet, she finds either a replica or it might be her actual house uh, that she grew up in. Um, And when you enter that house, it changes to a first-person view um, and becomes almost like a walking simulator. And and, uh, that's where a lot of the story beats come from. Uh, There's also a... uh, astronaut that is apparently stalking her throughout the game and uh, can can be seen in some pivotal cutscenes and also during uh gameplay at times if you're looking in the right direction um, which is super weird by the way yeah oh it's fucked up <laughs> and very strange uh, so I is there anything that you came away from? from the story like i don't know any like big takeaways that you feel like you've had or felt like at some point you had a grip on it um
1: i think it's i think it's misleading in a way i think the story wants you to think that the astronaut is Celine but i also think there's compelling evidence that like it could also be her mother and yeah and because you all you ultimately play as the child as well in the house so it's very it's very like i said it's up to interpretation depending on how you look at the events and how they play out and i won't jump into like any of the key points but um the story itself is like really it's just a story about loneliness and abandonment like that's those are the key like takeaway points regardless of who's who but I really think there's a story of loss in there somewhere tied really deeply. Um, But I don't think you really get that like key element or at least that cemented element until like the true ending of the game.
0: I, uh, I'm glad you said that because when I was writing my notes, one of the things that I said was that I think this is a story that is about trauma. Um, And I think, you know, I'm not sure if we're supposed to interpret um, the events on the planet of Atropos is literal, um, but I think it is a story about the sort of cyclical nature of trauma, of Celine trying to process uh, this accident where she lost her mom um, and her being kind of stuck in a loop of feeling guilt and blame and trying to work through it. Um, I, I'm, I'm still trying to piece together how I feel about this story, because, you know, it, you're right, it is so much up for interpretations and there are so many strong sort of symbols, you know, like the astronaut, like the house, like the hospital in the uh, uh, Tower of Sisyphus um, that clearly have a whole bunch of meaning. But, you know, y- you sort of bring your own meaning to it when you play the game, which I think is something that not a lot of other video games do that often.
1: Um, yeah, f- I, I've 100. There, there are some like, there's some key points that like lead me to believe that it's a it's the mother, and then there's a key mm-hmm. points that make me think it's the child too. And one of the like, for instance, like, uh, o- I think it was Octo is the name of the little octopus that she finds, yeah, the little plush toy. Mm-hmm. And then like, all the enemies in the game have these weird like tentacles. And it's, like, there's some projection there. Then there's the weird painting on the wall that has, like, the red lights that some of the enemies have, like, embedded in their face. But, like, also, there's the whole, like, the answering machine also had, like, a beating red light on it, which was, like, the answering machine was pivotal because it had, like, that message that was, like, hey, I'm working late again. I'm not going to be there for you again. So, like, that beating red light was, like, a constant reminder to the child that, like, you know, that's there's a message on there for me that likely just says I'm alone without my mom again. And then in the, 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 uh, in the room, whenever you're making, like you get in the microwave and there's the beating red light in the microwave, like those reoccurring, like red lights that were always only in enemies that were very strong and could beat the crap out of you. Like without just being like the normal, easy enemies, you know easy objects to overcome, like finding your toy that happened to be like the octopus creatures. I think there's a lot of symbolism that the game instills in those little tiny things as you're moving through.
0: I uh, really like that reading so that's a that's i i I hadn't thought about that how it relates to the answering machine, but you do you go back to that answering machine a few times in those house sequences and that is that red light. I really like that,
1: yeah it's. And that, I think it's just a testament to like how well the game is structured with like some of the other elements. But there's a lot of other things that were really on the nose that I didn't understand. Like the blocks that you pick up and they like turn to like goo. I have no idea what that means or what, what that even was or anything. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know. And maybe the interpretation was like, um, like, one, it was like, the sequence you go in there and you pick that up and it like sparks a, like a different sequence, but also, you know, like is that like the reality breaking moment to where like you pick that up and then it turns into this other thing? Is it like a, a semblance of like her sanity cracking in those memories and like back to reality kind of thing? Like Oop, I don't there know. was
0: gravity? What is it? Nothing. Never mind. Um...
1: <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: Um I'm glad you said that because I I had the same thought about um the astronaut and I thought it was really interesting in a couple of uh voice clips I think and a couple of the the text logs that you can find um you can see that Celine's mother had aspirations to be an astronaut um and it, if you know, her experience on Atropos is more of like a mental state of her trying to process losing her mom. You know, this sort of hyper-realistic version of the astronaut that Selene is pretending to be sort of stalking her and sort of being in like the corner of her vision the entire time, sort of reminding her that like this isn't real might Mm -hmm. be, uh, that was sort of my reading of it was, you know, one, the the guilt that she feels about losing her mom, which I think she is she feels responsible for the the crash that ended up taking her life, um, and two, just sort of it it calls into such a stark contrast the sort of science fiction of of Celine's uh, astronaut suit in mm-hmm. in stark contrast against the the hyper realistic astronaut that is that is pursuing her
1: yeah and i i think like the, that's so cool because i hadn't even looked at looked at it like that and this is why i love mm. this game so much because of the the story interpretations but yeah like, exactly in the way i had looked at it was like the astronaut was a symbol if you found an astronaut suit it was like it granted you an extra life essentially so i thought there was a lot of cool symbolism there because in like the car crash where she, she's the astronaut in. The road. There's still no definitive answer whether or not that person driving, who looks a lot like Celine, was actually Celine's mother, just because they look alike, or if it's actually Celine and the the other kid in there, because in the I think in the second ending, whenever she's going down, she goes up and talks about how she lost Helios. Is that her son? Right. Like, is that her? Like, what? Like, I, I don't yeah. have any clue what what it actually is. But if it's the other way around, to where it's the daughter, this, the the astro- astronaut being the one symbol that she looks up to, that like f- she feels like she has to, uh, that breathes life into her, being her mother, and then she actually gets time with that, and that gives her like her life back. That's what she wants. So when she finds that mm. astronaut, which is symbolic, because when she's like sitting down it broke my freaking heart whenever she's sitting down at like the the breakfast table and like pouring cereal with the astronaut yeah yeah but she's like look look at what i did and the astronaut just kind of sits there and it's like mm. i hate that like if you're out there and you're listening and you're an absentee parent like go away listen <laughs> get out of here up,
0: fucker if you're an astronaut <laughs> listening to this podcast go fuck yourself <laughs>
1: That too, I said absentee parent, but that's also. I'm talking specifically too. about astronauts. <laughs> oh. Now there's just there's honestly too much to tackle in the game, and again there's no definitive interpretation. So like
0: no, definitely not. But I'm, this is the sort of conversation that I was excited to go into about this game because there's so much that is like. The game signposts things that are clearly meaningful to it, um, but sort of leaves it open to interpretation for what those meanings are, um, which, which gives players, I think, a lot of leeway to sort of construct their own narrative um, about what has happened. And you're right, the game doesn't necessarily bill itself that way, and I kind of wish that it did signpost that more because it's much more artsy than it lets on. Um oh yeah. Especially in terms of gameplay because this is you know not a artsy, you know euro-driven sort of uh indie gameplay. This is this is a full-on like arcade shooter.
1: Oh yeah. Tough one too. Like <laughs> it it is cool how like Every time I ran through this game, and the multiple runs that it took me the first time, like there would just be runs that it would be like I would just get owned in the first section. Like I'd be like, "How? Mm-hmm. What is happening?" And then I'd get all the way to like <laughs> section four because you you almost have to replay the whole run, like unless you're in like zone mm-hmm. five, like you almost have to rerun the whole thing because you got to build up the you know your health and whatnot. But yeah, it's um, true. Now there if there's a lot. Like I had. Um, like the uh, the idea was the car crash being like that pivotal moment to where like you sink down there's like that tentacle thing that like pulls you under Mm -hmm. and then the red light and then it was in my head that has to be her she obviously I think she survives that like I think she survives the occurrence obviously but the rest of the game is her dealing with like that journey of dealing with the trauma that she was the only one that survived that. And then the whole portion of the game where when you wake or when you go to the tower of Sisyphus, where she's climbing like an endless battle, I think that signifies the therapy that she's attempting to go through. It's digging layer after layer after layer. And then she encounters Something that's like feels immovable and then she eventually defeats it, but it still puts this like permanent damage on her because every time you beat a boss on that 20th floor, you are you get hit with a permanent uh malfunction to where mm-hmm. you have. So I think that's symbolic of the fact that while you may have defeated this move past this this one thing that we're trying to tackle that doesn't mean that you're permanently healed you know there's still things that you're going to have to deal with for you know for the rest of your life and then it gets harder as you go every every room is tougher and and then you get up to the next thing you have to tear through and it's like twice as hard of what you thought you didn't think it could get any harder and again three times as hard four times as hard So I think that that's, like, it's really beautiful in a way of signifying, like, her journey through that. And every time you get down on that first floor and go back to, like, the hospital or, you know, the uh, maybe the asylum or whatever that she's actually in, I think that there's that's probably a little bit more on the nose, I think, than the other story. But, like, it's really cool because when you have a rogue, having, like, an endless tower is, like, Come on, everyone wants that. You want to see how high how, yeah. how you can get. But I think it's cool how they implemented that and then tied it into the story about trauma. Whether that's intentional or not, that's definitely the takeaway I took from it, the whole therapy approach. No, I th- I think that's probably true. Um, you know, uh,
0: my, my interpretation of the game is that you're playing still as like Celine as a child. And this is sort of her visualization of like, how to overcome trauma there's a couple of times like in the house sequence where you play see her playing video games or she clearly has an obsession with space and this seems like the kind of story that she would create in order to try to like overcome shit in her life mm. um that's why i think the game feels so arcadey and sort of video gamey because it is you know um and why it's so at odds with the the very realistic sort of story because like, if you're trying to take the story literally, this time like makes no fucking sense, right? Like, <laughs> Celine grew up in like a 20th, like she's she's our age, effectively, you know. Or she grew up in like a house that looks like yours or mine. There's no fucking way when she hits forty that she's like <laughs> intergalactic travel and shit, you know? Like right, that, yeah. that that dog don't hunt. So, I. Th- think that you have to sort of look at it as sort of a journey inward for her and and sort of metaphorical for for what she's going through. So I think yeah, seeing that that sort of thing as as um her dealing with trauma I thought was was an interesting way to to
1: tackle this story. Um it's it kind of has like a multiverse kind of aspect to it because when she swerves to miss the astronaut and then mm. goes off the bridge, that astronaut character. Do you think there's an implication that there's before even that that there's some type of mental trauma, like, or do you think maybe that's like she's going crazy, or do you? No, think that's, I think that's.
0: Go ahead. Uh, I think that's guilt. I think for whatever reason, earned or not, because I think clearly the relationship that Celine has with her mom is fraught. And her mom put a whole bunch of pressure on her, and Celine acted against that. Um, earned or not, she feels responsible for that car crash that happened with her mom. Um, and so when she's imagining herself as like this far future astronaut she's she's sort of taking on a bit of the blame just in that sort of like mental image of herself Hmm. is is how i've read this and again asterisk on all this shit because like there is nothing but interpretations in this
1: yeah yeah Uh, because like my interpretation was that that was her son in the car yeah and, and I
0: thought, by the way,
1: I very much thought
0: that's where this story was heading was that like, oh, uh, Celine's her own mom or some shit like that. It's like, or it's her mom from another time loop or some shit like that.
1: Yeah. My, um, yeah. My interpretation of that was that it was her, it was her, but it was, she had such pent up like aggression and she was so upset And then the song came on the radio, and that's when it triggered something in her, like this emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. And then she saw the astronaut who was all the abandonment that her mother had put on her trying to be there for her child. And then it caused her, like, to have a panic attack, and she swerved off the road. And then whenever she swims away from the crash and survives, but her son doesn't, the reason I think that is because there's that flashing message throughout you find that says Helios abandoned. And no one says anything about Helios or who it is or anything, but we do hear her yelling and gasping the name Helios like it's something like she misses and desires and wants like so badly. Right. And so I think that like I think all of these things happen. I think there's trouble yeah. with the mob. that is I interesting. I, so I and again, like you, don't, you, the game is open to interpretation. There is no clear-cut answer unless House Marquis has come out and given us one. So I don't know. Definitely worth, you know. I want to hear what mo- other people think too that have played through this game. I don't know of anyone that else that's beaten it personally, but um, if you're out there, please join the Discord and talk about it. Yeah, uh, please I just Explain spent, to like, Michael two I hours structuring it today. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is going on? We're both scared. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Like it was it was cool because like the game is designed to keep you focused on the gameplay for sure sh- for sure. Like this game Absolutely. is has enough to keep you interested there without even paying mind to the fact that it has a story. And I really think it doesn't even want you to pay attention to it at all until near the end of the game. And if they did, they would have added act two as maybe new areas. Cause now it's like, okay, this is just slightly different. And now we're going to start putting more story stuff in here. It's not different enough for you to not know where you're going or what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Just enough for you to feel comfortable while you're playing it. It'd be a little different. And now you can focus on something a little new. I,
0: I appreciated that. I think. Um, I was initially annoyed because there really are like what, you know, three environments in the game, but two of them are, or or all three of them are sort of redressed, Mm -hmm. uh, again for, for act two. But I sort of appreciated the fact that, um, it felt like a monumental amount of time had passed between act one and act two, yes, which sort of fed into this sort of, you know, eternal sort of loop that selena's caught in um you know the difference between act one and act four isn't crazy like the the forest but when you get into um going back to um the mountain again i thought i thought that was a really interesting design choice
1: i really enjoyed that i every level in this game like screamed personality Mm. like I I don't know. There's like, there's so much influence from so many different types of like, or corners of, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what the word would be. Like, I guess cultural references. Like there's a little bit of Lovecraft in here. There's a little bit mm-hmm. of like, I, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but the point is like every area is dripping with its own sense of personality. Um, like, and the, like the stark contrast between each of them too is like, what's cool it's like you're going um from like this like rundown jungle ruins area and then you step to the portal and it's like boom you're in a red desert wasteland with not a tree or plant in sight oh by the way now all the monsters fly get fucked so <laughs> like it's <laughs> it, it's really cool how it like gives you it gives you the ability to like Every every environment, Selene is just, feels so natural to control her in, and yeah. I feel like that was the the choice made for those things. It's like, all right, here you have like these. The first area has like these tight cut corners and a lot of ability to like dodge and move and run and have like, you know, be more precise with your movements. And it's like, all right, now we're gonna put you out in like open space and force you to you know have larger rooms and be actually more accurate and controlled in what you're doing. And that, by the way,
0: that that move into and more open space uh, is really what I would consider that to be my all-in moment, was the, going to the Crimson Ways for the first time because I didn't realize that kind of design could work um, in a, in a roguelike. You know, in a rogue game, generally, uh, everything is procedurally generated rooms where You know, there may be, like, one sort of format, but it's connected by doors to other rooms, and those are randomly generated. In The Crimson Waste, it's all just kind of, like, laid out, and you don't even need to move, like, from door to door to go to these different areas. You can run between them without touching a door. Mm. Um, It really made it feel like this big desert expanse, um, which sort of sold it to me as an actual place rather than just uh a roguelike with like you know a desert setting or like mm. theme to the different rooms,
1: you know? Yeah, for sure. Like and I, I like how like that transition happens too, because like even if you are even though you're playing the game and you're going from like quote unquote zone to zone, it very mm. much feels like you're climbing a mountain the entire time. Like yeah. everything feels like you're scaling like some type of pivotal moment which I think again is intentional thinking back to the story how like it's very you know it's very filled with like trauma but then it like spikes and like there's this pivotal moment to where you know even in boss number four before you crash down you're literally listening to uh, Don't Fear the Reaper like while fighting the boss like Mm -hmm. I just think everything is it's very intentional and I love that Regardless of the intent and how, like how easy it is to pick up on, there's still just so much like up to interpretation. It's very everyone. I was just every one of these zones has like. a. Yeah, well, there it is. <laughs> My bad.
0: <laughs> every one of these zones has such a narrative to it, you know where. The place where you come into the level is not this, the same place where you'll you'll exit it. There's sort of like a ramping up of tension. Um and that's throughout all of them. You know, in the first one when you're you're coming down to uh fike is it the first boss? Frike. Frike. Freak? Super I've always freak? said
1: Frike, just because it has an IKE at the end.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um you know it, it, that sort of ramp up to opening up the the locked door and then fighting your way up that staircase. You know it has such a building of tension. Uh, Crimson waste, obviously. You like you said, working your way up the mountain and it's a constant sort of like climb. Um, uh, the the sort of temple and and activating uh, the the sonar sound that's going to get you home and then fighting your way to the, to the final boss there you know all of the levels are so smartly designed where you can rearrange these sort of different elements within it and still maintain that sense of narrative of climbing yeah. through and succeeding from level to level i think is is really really impressive
1: and one of the games like absolute strengths i agree and i think that's why i think my all-in moment for this game was when i got to area three area three is not the most beautiful area in the game it's the Mm -hmm. like the temple area if i'm not mistaken um but it is in my opinion the best designed because you have like this open outside world where these structures are like almost every time you play through obviously it's procedurally generated but like you said the zones are generally the same but like Every time I would replay that area, and it probably was one of my least replayed areas because that's, like, right in the middle of the story. So, yeah, you know, you, you're trying real hard to not die there or else you got to go all <laughs> the way back. Um, but just, like, these big, sprawling temple landscapes with, like, multiple floors that are, like, connected via, like, a hook shot or, like, some other, like, uh, way to where if you go, you can't get back. Or if you can, you got to make a giant loop in just the way that Mm -hmm. everything's structured enables that when a lot of the other ones have like branching paths, but there's not a lot of looping to them. So like, I really appreciated how that level was strung together. And it also had some like, every time I played this game, it seemed like there was like a new type of like big enemy. A lot of the regular enemies are the same, but like I never encountered like the, the automaton like, guy that would spawn in the first time I played through this game, ever. Oh, really? Yeah, and it wasn't until, like, I picked it up on PC and played through it that I even fought that guy.
0: Lucky motherfucker.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, I was I was kind of shocked by that. So, like, it sounds like some of the enemies are tied to the different drop zones that you're able to run through. Maybe I just got lucky and didn't run through those on, on, my, on one of my other runs. But, yeah, I just that was probably my my all-in moment was just being able to look out and, like, see, like, Atropos in, like, a different setting, like, as far as the game could render with, like, structures in the backgrounds and, like, these huge statues of, like, these towering... um, I forget what they were called. They were called the Forgotten. The the, uh, Forsaken? Yeah, there we go. Something like that. The statues of these, quote-unquote, Forsaken. And... It was like it's just beautiful. Like it, it was so cool to to be in that world. And like the sound design in this game was the best. Phenomenal. If you, if you play this game and you don't have like there's two games in the history of gaming that I would say it is worth picking up like 7.1 surround sound and playing with them. It is Hellblade, Senua Sacrifice, and this game. Like Two of the best. It was actually nominated for best sound in multiple game awards or multiple different video game uh, avenues when it came out. So definitely. I don't doubt it. Some of the best
0: d- out there. I do not doubt it. Every weapon has such a distinct sound to it. Um, the the All of the music, by the way, is fucking incredible. Um, it is tense and ethereal and haunting. Yes. Um, yes. I... I it, nothing but good things to say about the atmosphere of every one of these levels like just just phenomenally
1: well done throughout yeah it's it's really cool like when you're in the first area specifically i think the first area sound works to its advantage and i think that they that's an all of them do but i think the first one is probably the most effective and I think that's important because it needs to get the people into the game. It needs to like envelop them immediately. So they feel more connected to the experience. But like the first area is the most teeming with life. Mm -hmm. You get the feeling that even though there's not random creatures running around and things like that, that there would be if you had been there in like in in a moment, it feels very, very alive and it, sounds alive too like you can hear like the tentacles like moving around from like things that are dropping from the ceiling and you can hear what like, may maybe some weird alien bird like calling in the distance and like the whole thing just feels very like weird <laughs> but also way more alive than you feel while you're playing it
0: that now that, fully- that, that might
1: just be a personal problem no, but, there's uh, <laughs> a fully realized sense of place, like the minute
0: you touch down on on Atropos, it feels like an actual like planet um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an, it's incredible shit. Um, was there a weapon that you that you vibe with the most? Did you have a favorite where one of those like there were a few times throughout this game where you know you'd you'd pick up a chest and unlock something random and you'd be like,
1: those stats are technically better, but... Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I get, there are so many times where like, I'll come up on a chest and I'm like, um, you see, I like this weapon. Or it'd be like, I used a key to open this chest and it's a fucking mm-hmm. pistol. I'm fucking yeah. mad. But um, no, I, I do. It's I have two that I would alternate between. Anytime I saw these two, I would change them. But if I found I had to choose between the two, it would be the tachymatic carbine. I love that weapon. And the other one is the Hollow Seeker. I was a big fan of it. Oh, yeah. Because it has like that all the secondary fire modes. And as you level up your adrenaline, which we should talk about that too, because that's a great game mechanic. Um, Mm -hmm. Both of those are just fantastic. I like the machine gun aspect in this game when you're moving so frequently it's a lot easier just to hold down the trigger and just like aim and jump like you can focus just on your movement as opposed to your aiming as well so shout out to anyone out there that mains the pistol like a boss cuz that's pass off to you <laughs> what about you
0: um absolutely a fan of the the carbine um that became a late game favorite for me especially when it got into um you know, there were certain perks for the carbine that just made it so head and shoulders above any, anything else I would pick up. Things like leech rounds, where you mm-hmm. could restore health just by shooting things. Wow. Like, immediately, like, oh, thank God. That's that's self-preservation. <laughs> that's an easy pickup. Yeah. Early game, um I loved the Electro Pylon Driver. Um, if it has the web, where it's able to fire up five at once yes. and create just sort wow. of... Um, you really start to appreciate passive damage in this game because your hands are gonna be so full just dodging all the shit that's thrown at you. <laughs> or if you're able to throw one thing out once and be like, okay, that's dead in a couple seconds and then move on to something else. <laughs> yeah, yep, like
1: I agree. You really start to appreciate that shit. <laughs> Especially like for some enemies that are like damage soaks, like the tree people. I guess oh is the best way to call them.
0: <laughs> Fuck the tree. <laughs> Fuck the ants. And I don't say this enough.
1: <laughs> you know what? They get too much love and they're weird. <laughs> Fuck you, Tree Beard and all your fucking weird friends. Maybe that's <laughs> where the ant wives went. They, they went to Atropos and that's who we're killing. Okay. It's coming full circle now. Thank you, Tolkien. All interpretations
0: of this game are valid. I think I said that at the top.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, according to the internet, I did a quick Google here. The, uh, the best weapon in the game by damage output is the Electro Pylon Driver. Uh, the weapon I used the least was <laughs> that one and the, like, I don't know what it was called, but it was effectively, like, a grenade launcher. Uh, oh, worthless. the fucking worthless, the, man. Like, oh, it's high damage, but it shoots, it has like a three round clip. And Pyro Shell was that yeah, the Pyro Shell uh, Caster. Uh, that sounds, yeah, I have a list here. Py, yeah, Pyro Shell mm. Caster, um, which for some reason on this list is the, the third highest. So, no, nope, wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what I was like, nope, That was my not. thing
0: with this game is that there's a few weapons that you unlock throughout the course of it. And every single one of them was dog shit to me. Um, you unlock that one, you unlock the Dreadbound, which is terrible. You unlock the uh, Coil Spine Shredder, which I, I like grudgingly used throughout a couple of rounds on the uh, Tower <laughs> of Sisyphus, but that was it. Um, this was something that I think I I sort of wish the. how do I phrase this? I wanted the game to have a little bit more variety in its weapons. Um, Because I think having run it a whole bunch of times, a lot of my runs started to look somewhat similar, Mm -hmm. where like every section that I was in, I was looking for certain weapons. Yeah. Um, You know, in the first, uh, in either, you know, uh, Biome 1 or Biome 4, in the forest, I was looking for an electropylon driver because things tend to generally stay still and are on the ground, and that works very well with the net. Yeah. Um, in the uh, in the mountain, either you know two or five, I'm looking for um, either a carbine or a hollow seeker, something that shoots out a whole bunch of projectiles and is able to hit things like in the air. Yeah. Um, And then in the end game, I'm looking for the carbine because survivability becomes important because
1: enemy damage, like, spikes through the fucking roof. Yeah, Um, it sure does. It's fucking flying robot machines, dude. Like, I don't even, they look like, um, I don't even know, they're just like, they're really tanky, freaking, like, green metal, like. Tubes mm-hmm. almost and they're assholes and whenever they die <laughs> they fly at you and explode and it's, oh, it's so infuriating oh, god
0: yeah no i lost to so many runs to those guys just because i didn't have damage up high enough or like yep. you know i had rushed through the first biome just trying to get back to the second and like yep. didn't have enough health and would immediately get one shot in the first room and
1: realize like okay i am i am doing something wrong i i I think I I agree with you about the weapons in this game. Like it doesn't feel like there's good enough variety, but here's what I think about it. I think the game has a lot of variety in the weapons because they added things like each weapon has like seven different modes it can utilize, but the game does absolutely nothing and is dog shit at teaching you how to do those things. And then having the ability, if they unlocked the ability to like, If you find, let's say I had a like a a carbine, and I Mm. found another carbine that had like less damage output, but I like the perk of that one, I could swap the perks or like take different aspects of that weapon at like some type of downgrade. Because the game has a very clear way, which we'll need to talk about this too, a very cool way of like being like, all right, we're gonna give you this perk, but you're gonna take this disadvantage as well. Like it has a really good way to do that. So like they they could have done something other outside of like like the the rotland globbers and like the weird weapon things they added in Sisyphus um ways to alter your current weapons like permanently with other things that you could find outside of yeah. the efficiency boosts that's fair
0: enough a little bit more of customization would have been interesting um and and more often than not i was pretty happy to take whatever like you know, I, I was given throughout the game. But it was sort of like I, I defaulted to that sort of same sort of progression of like, okay, I got to get this gun in Act 1, I got to get this gun in Act 2, and then I should have enough stats to pick up whatever in
1: Act 3 and survive it until I inevitably get a carbine. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> well, you had mentioned to me before that you were really, really partial to the, the shotgun, the mall blaster. What changed there? Was it just like late runs yeah, so early in act 1, uh or
0: biome 1, you can absolutely run train with the Spitmon blaster. You're you're totally fine to get through that. It'll fall off immediately afterward and there's no sort of um traits that really make up for that damage fall off. Um because, you know, it, it, when it go- gets to things like that uh that suicide dive kind of robot you were talking about um, doesn't play well with a, with a weapon that you have to get up close with. That's actually yeah, not that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so finding other ways around that and actually like uh, things like the Electro Pylon Driver, which I, I had mained up until that point, you know, where you're doing passive damage, but only a little bit of passive damage at a time. Gives it a long time for it to activate that dive, which means that you could have five of them coming at you from an area that you had already moved your focus away from because, like, you had shot a net. You don't, you can focus on something else now. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate the fact that the game changed up enough where, like, biome by biome, it felt like I had to change my strategy and the sort of weapon that I brought to it. Um, yeah. And I felt, felt like it forced me to get good with a lot of different weapons that normally in a, in a regular sort of third person shooter like this, I would ignore.
1: Yeah. But I really appreciate that point. Cause I think it's very much the same thing. And it actually ties into the question I was getting ready to ask you pretty well is, um, do you think it was ever considered or why did they not, do you think they didn't give you the option of always having like, a pistol or having the ability to, like, carry a backup weapon? Because, like, Mm. functionally, as long as you were using one, the game wouldn't have been too different because you do find weapons pretty often. Like, why do you think they didn't have the option of carrying a second weapon or having that backup weapon option? I think
0: it would have... Yeah, that's sort of interesting. Um, Something that we haven't talked about up until this point um, is the idea of weapon proficiency, which is sort of like, you know... In your run, you you accrue this stat called weapon proficiency. And as that goes up, the weapons that you find become more powerful um, and have better stats and things. Um, I think if you were able to carry a backup weapon, y- you would just end up swapping weapons twice as often and would probably be overpowered. Um, or underpowered. Been a couple- yeah, well, that's true too. You can you can hose yourself that way, um, but there's been a couple of times where like you know I've I've had a, like a carbine with leech rounds and found a different carbine that has a attack stat that's like through the fucking roof, way better than the one I have, and that's a really interesting game choice of having to decide between like okay, do I keep the one with stats I really like or do I keep the one that's going to kill things way faster. <laughs> And if you give people the chance to pick up two weapons, you sort of give them an out to that sort of thorny question that could, like, has legitimate consequences. That can end a run if you choose poorly and then play badly in the next room, you know? Yeah, it's true.
1: Um, yeah, I, I hadn't considered that. I'm glad you said that. I I don't know. I just need to learn to trust developers, but they all also <laughs> are all real finicky and they hurt me often. So I don't know if that trust is ever going to be You're restored anytime and- soon.
0: And it's not like all the choices here are incredible. I'm not going to defend everything. Um, there's a lot of rooms, especially early on in the first few biomes uh, in, in this game, with a lot of, like, uh, pits in the middle of, like, combat yes. zones. Oh, my God. You
1: just, and like, fall super, in. And it's like,
0: oh, They're super punishing and I think are just unfair with the amount of other shit you have to handle. You know, a lot of enemies by design are super aggressive and force you to be on the back foot, sometimes running backwards entirely. And, like, if I'm running backwards focusing on four different things, I don't think it's necessarily fair that I fell into a pit. It's not a one-hit kill or anything, but it does take a substantial amount of your damage, and it resets your adrenaline. And that's just such a, I don't know, it's such
1: a blow to your (laughs) Self-worth. <laughs> is that a stat? Like, you you need a level in this self-worth? It's a hidden stat, but it's a stat. <laughs> I'll say
0: this. It's real.
1: Is it? I don't know. It's been so long. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, like, weapon proficiency is cool because, like, you'll find... Like various different man, there's there's so many items in this game that talking and thinking about all of them feels really overwhelming. But they're so seamless, like seamlessly integrated and so easy to understand. It's like yeah. it's trying to explain the board games to people where it's like I swear, once you play it, it just makes sense. <laughs> God, the but Vietnam like, flashback that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, trying to teach anyone to play Munchkin, they're just like, "I'm never gonna get this." And then they play it once, they're like, "I only want to play this." <laughs> That's a great example. <laughs> um, um,
0: I I think one of the things that makes it sort of digestible, even if like you know you're not thinking constantly about like you know, well, uh, uh, what is my uh, what is my alt fire cooldown right now, or like what is my melee damage at right now, is like. Every item that you come across is a simple choice. Pick it up or don't. Yeah, um, that's fair. And that's what I think makes it really sort of intriguing for a minute to minute sort of basis. I had a vague sort of fuzzy knowledge of what my build was from run to run. Um, but, and I do have a sneaking suspicion that this was intentional. If I was doing like, you know, long sort of plays of this game, You know, an hour or two at a time, runs would sort of bleed together and I'd sort of forget what stats I had from run to run, Mm -hmm. Um, which made me feel like I was a little bit trapped in the same sort of loop that (laughs) Celine was in. Um, (laughs) I was just getting her same almost as if you were Celine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Where there'd be a couple of times where you'd like, you know, you'd find one of those hidden sections where you drop down a pit, hit the bottom and take damage. And I'd be like, what the fuck? What are... Oh, right. I picked up the parasite. Wait, was that last? Nope. That was this run.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, you're exactly right. It is very much <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the weapons and the, the items really quickly. And then I do want to talk about the parasites because I love the balance system in this game. Uh, mm. Can we talk about how like every game should have an overload function? it's like hell yes Dude. hell yes it should <laughs> this this mechanic so you're dealing with like alien weaponry so automatically they're just like okay there is no reloading like you don't ever have to reload your weapon until you run out or i should say there's no ammo there's no right. ammo capacity you'll it's all like energy that rebuilds itself after a few seconds once you are out of ammo but was it it was gears that you it was gears of war right they introduce mm-hmm. like this overload mechanic to if you run out of web or ammo and while it's reloading, if you hit it at the exact right time, it'll give you the instant reload and you go right back to firing. This game, it is absolutely crucial that you learn how to use this. And it's one of those things that like the first time you try to use it, it's like ah, I missed it. I missed it, missed it. And when you nail it once, you'll it's like it's like muscle memory it's moving ingrained. forward. Yeah. So, Every game needs this, Uh, so pay attention. (laughs) Any shooter out there, or anything with a gun, I should say. It just creates such a
0: rhythm, you know, where you're not able to fire mindlessly. I mean, you're still pretty much holding down the trigger until, like, the clip is empty or whatever, but you're anticipating that, and you're getting yourself in a position where you can safely hit that and get back to firing. You know, it's... It feels almost like a mini game, which I, I sort of love in the middle of combat where it keeps you focused on, you know, not just the damage that you're putting out because in a lot of like other bullet hell games, you don't have to think about holding down the trigger. You know, mm-hmm. you're just focused on dodging. Um, and in this, you can't do that. You have to sort of fluctuate between focusing on where you're aiming and also fox, or fixating on... Uh dodging and incoming damage it's it's a really like it 's a dance every single one of these rooms is a dance it 's really cool
1: it is yeah I agree it is really cool the I like the overload feature a lot because it like once you get the rhythm down, obviously like the overload will change depending on the weapon, how big it is, how small it is, what type of Mm -hmm. stats it has, will have like a bigger, smaller overload like meter. But once you nail it for that, like it's like an extension of like, it's like a new item. Like it's like a whole new perk for the weapon because like you'll get into this rhythm of like, all right, I know I can hold down the trigger for this long with, you know, the hollow seeker or this this long for this weapon and then I can instantly, like, just pivot. I'll use that, like, split second to, like, run around the corner, and by the time I get back around, I've already triggered the overload, and it's, like, if you miss that, it's, like, absolutely crucial, or Mm. it's devastating, because it's, like, you come around the corner, and then, like, there's something there that's not getting shot, and then it, like, messes up your damage flow, but then... The reason I think it's so awesome is, like, you're able to implement something as simple as, like, an extra one second in reload literally changes the whole scheme of the room that you're running. Like, in having it make that big of a difference just on such a small thing that a lot of people don't even use. I know people that have played this game and didn't even know there was an overload or an overload function. So it's pretty cool that, like, it's so it can be so crucial, but I, I know a lot of people aren't freaking horrendously awful nerd like I am either, <laughs> so that's fine. <laughs> um, I had to ask this because I feel like I need to bring up a complaint because I've been praising this game. I feel and probably easily remapped, and I just the the core scheme. I did not enjoy where the use item function was in this. I found myself using items a lot whenever I shouldn't have. Um, Interesting.
0: So I also had in my notes a complaint about item mapping. Um, what weird. <laughs> use item I I ran into a few times. Like especially early on um, when I was still like um, one of the things that I think affected my gameplay was this was with the first, like, hardcore third-person shooter that I played with um, uh, the Xbox Elite controller, which has, mm-hmm. like, a couple of, like, um, extra paddles in the back of the controller that allow you to map. And I really got into trying to make use of those. And that threw me off, in a, you know, at the beginning for a while of I mapped jump and dash to those. Which mm. means that I could dash without keeping my hands or keeping my hands on the thumbsticks at all times. Which That's a that's cool. That's a good idea. It was useful in the long run. It took a long time to get used to. And for whatever reason, just that extra brain power absolutely fucked me on like where are my consumables and shit like that. <laughs> so I I hit that a lot at the beginning. Gotcha. Um, Later on in the game, when I had gotten used to that, one of the things that really dicked me over, and especially in the Tower of Sisyphus, where I think levels are a little bit smaller and more condensed, was having um, pickup item and the grappling hook latched to the, the same button. Oh, um, that, was not meant, a con- that was not an issue for me. For me, that was a run killer in a couple of times, where like I was trying to pick up health and would immediately, without realizing it, like, yeet. yeah, exactly, yeet myself to another bridge where eight guys are like, hey, fucker, and that was just kind of it, and like, the first couple of times, that's the game's fault, the eighth time it happens, it's probably my fault, but, fair. um, was there yeah, no option
1: that, to remap that, like,
0: you know, probably, I didn't, because, fair, at that point, fair. it's, it's, it's muscle memory, and I'm not going to try to relearn
1: that shit. Um, yeah, I had I had done something similar to you. I had picked up a one of those like PlayStation Edge controllers, which is like effectively the PlayStation version of the Elite, and it has mm-hmm. the two little back paddles on it. And I mapped both of them to be dash because uh, yeah. you had mentioned you you mapped yours to uh, passively mentioned that to me that you had mapped yours, and I was like, that's a good idea. So I mapped it to that but it was it was nice because like with both of them being dash I could just hold the controller and then just like a full hand squeeze and right. then the PlayStation has the haptic sensors in like that game to where and even if you're playing on PC it carries over that functionality. So like you can set like the trigger density so it's like it has three different uh settings on it to where you could be like how far down you wanna hold the triggers in. So you could set Mm. like one, the left one to be like a lot more intense and the right one to be like easy squeeze. So I'd set my one to fire my gun, like really easy to click, but the others for like latching onto things and things like that, like a tough squeeze. So it actually gave like a lot of pushback when I was like doing that. And it would like, when I pushed down, it would start to rumble as I would go up the, up the like the wire or whatever it was Mm -hmm. really cool. like. A lot of really cool features that PlayStation enabled with this type of game, and obviously they're going to reward their PlayStation consumers first because that's where the you know the game originally came out on. But um, yeah, yeah, no, glad to see they gave you an easy mode. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're the one that platinum the game, not me. So <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that.
0: <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't done that, don't. <laughs> You're going to end up running the same rooms a lot of times waiting for some stupid fucking ruins to spawn in. (laughs) Oh, the sun fragments? God. God. Yeah. Trust me. Okay. That, but for all of the audio recordings,
1: all of the little, like, fragments and shit that you see throughout. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No thanks. I'm glad that you liked it, though. Like, that was my biggest, biggest concern was that you were going to... Dislike the game um and i'll tell you why i thought that so i mentioned before the playstation 5 i'd bought it on playstation 5 and then we had a we had a cabin trip that i brought my playstation i told everyone i brought it so everyone could play whatever they wanted to but i brought it for max to try demon souls <laughs> and returnal um and we ended up spending the whole time playing drunk souls uh, <laughs> effectively watching Alan play Demon's Souls and just sucking ass, uh, the whole time at the cabin. Um, but I thought the reason you didn't, you did, cause you had no interest in picking it up and trying it. Uh, now, obviously accessibility with it being on the PC now and, um, they're not being much on the PS5 in the way of persuading you to buy one until whatever, uh, Hideo Kojima comes out with next, um. There's gonna be
0: at some point. There's gonna be a Metal Gear Solid Three remake. If that ends up being a PS5 exclusive, I will 100% buy a $400 video game.
1: <laughs> is Silent Hill 2 not enough to do it for you?
0: Absolutely, the fuck not, Michael. No, really, I, I don't. There know. is I like one Silent game Hill. on the planet that will be a system seller for me. <laughs> That's. I hate that
1: for you, Max. I hate that for yeah, you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean I remember whenever the PS4 came out. I was I didn't buy it until Bloodborne. And yeah. I bought the Blood Bloodborne PS4. Fair enough. Well guess I guess what I bought it for. It, it was Metal Gear, Metal Solid, Gear Solid Four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. <laughs> oh man. Um I I'm trying to think if it's anything else like has to do with the weapons, but like I while we're on items, did you have a favorite item? Because like eventually like you start off with the ability to carry one. I think you can carry at the, was the end game. Was it three or four consumables? I think it's three, right? Uh,
0: three, it's three, three? Oh, you're talking consumables or like artifacts and shit
1: like that. Um, I don't even want to get into artifacts. I think we should, <laughs> we should mention it, but like, cause there's just so many of them and it feels like are. they're also oh, yeah. random in the percentages and whatnot that they provide. Most of them are, yeah, just kind of nice to
0: have bonuses. And yeah. I like that. Um, in terms of consumables, um, yeah, the, ugh, I'm terrible with names. There's the disruptor, I think it's called, which is just like a big, like AOE blast, which shuts is basically all a the turrets. It's a room. No, no, no. Well, there's that one, which is also great, especially when doing tower assist runs, because half of those levels are just fucking turrets. <laughs> um, true, true. <laughs> dismantler. It's called the dismantler. Um, where it's just like a giant AOE blast, and it's effectively a room clear, um where like you know if if you're stuck in a room with a couple of the like forsaken or whatever, um you know, where they just put you in a room with a couple of two boss enemies or whatever, you can drop that and lose half their health in one blast like
1: yeah, that's a that's a, a run saver those are those are pretty easy. Um, I was gonna say outside of the like sylphium vials, like that's kind of a given. I would always try to have one of those on. Yeah, that's 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 the cop out answer. (laughs) Those are incredibly helpful. Um,
0: or or like you know the the one that fixes a malfunction for free.
1: Yes, very helpful. I like the obelisk siphon myself. Like yeah, like you can turn like all right, it's like all right. I know I'm gonna be in this cool room. Well, there's a lot of enemies, so I'm gonna activate this, go absolutely bonkers and then refill my health with all the obelisks like laying around. That was kind of that was a, a favorite of mine. But you're right, like mm. the disruptor, the dismantler were also like every item has like a really niche use, like the apex, uh to like push you up back to like yeah, top I would say if, I would generally try to have those for boss fights. Yes.
0: Um you know where you were probably going to take a hit, and if you take a hit, then you're probably not going to work your way back up to max. You yeah. know, for sure. Um, w- let's
1: talk about proficiencies for a second, or not proficiencies. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, the adrenaline, because I love that feature. I also think this is something the other other uh, games should have. But effectively, what this the adrenaline is is how long you can survive while doing, or how long you go while dealing damage without taking damage. So the more enemies that you kill in a string, you get bonuses. If you kill, uh, there are things that will like effectively modify the numbers or add the amount of enemies you have to kill for, um, for malfunctions. But essentially, at a set number of enemies that you kill, you'll go from adrenaline level one all the way up to five, five being the maximum. And then as it adds these like adrenaline markers, every one of them has like a perk and it's cool because they're not just like damage like i think perk two is like level visibility so like fog will clear and you can see more of your surroundings and things like that Um, right i'm not entirely sure what one and three and four do but i know five puts you on like ultra like blast mode to where it's like your weapon gets like an extra projectile and like you're a little bit faster and like all this crazy shit so like you want to be a like That level, like at all times. I love that in this game because not only does it give you an incentive to not get hit outside of your health, but whenever you get to that like high mark, it's like that, it's almost like that, that pulse at the bottom of the screen that's like golden and like really fast. It keeps you like. Mm. I me anyway, when I was I would see that, I'd be like, okay, like I gotta I'm on high alert at all times. Then I get hit and I'm like, I don't give a shit about this run anymore for the next like ten <laughs> seconds. <laughs> it is it like really it is. added like a weird like emotional like it's roller your, coaster yeah. for me. It's your emotional momentum,
0: is what it is, you know. It, it, yeah, it, haven't it's haven't, really Go ahead. I just love the fact that it's a combo meter effectively, but it's a combo meter that rewards you in like some very concrete ways. You know, right. even getting a couple of kills, um, you know, the first level gets you an extended uh meter for the uh the the instant reload,
1: which is like mm. huge. That's yeah,
0: huge. Yeah,
1: because um, the box is really small initially for the yeah
0: uh, Oh, it's fucking hard. Yeah. Uh, so if you can pull it off a few times and you're rewarded for balancing that without getting hit, then, you know, it makes it easier and you can focus on other shit. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's an absolutely brilliant system. Um, and one of the things that I really like about it is that it's not strictly necessary to a run. Like, it, I don't know, it's just something kind of in the back of your mind as you're focusing on other things. Um, yeah. I
1: agree. And it, it like it'll pop up and there'll be like this cool little weird like ripcord sound like and yeah. as, as you like get proficiencies and whatnot. So it's like they're there. Like I said before, there is absolutely a million things going on on the screen at one time in this game. But they're like segmented and they're so digestible that they, it it doesn't feel like there is at all. Very easily understandable because, like, on top of all those things we talked about, the weapon proficiencies that like you're always wanting to make sure that you're finding ways to to scale your proficiencies so your weapons get more powerful. On top of that, you have repair efficiencies, so if you lose health, you can find these silphium. God, there's so much in this game. Like (laughs) talking about all this, you find it's just an
0: elegant system. All of it just fits together so well.
1: Yeah. Sorry, keep going. No, you're you're fine. You find these silphium. So they're either small or large or or small, medium, or large sylphiums, and they effectively refill your health. And if you wander into an area and you have full health or higher health, the scaling of probability of what they do changes a bit to instead of giving you health, it'll fill up your maximum health. You have to Mm -hmm. get two or, well, three natively, but if you have a certain perk, two of those will add a little bit of a maximum boost to your health bar. Which effectively is what you want to be focusing on the entirety of every run is finding ways to maximize your health bar, like at all costs. Um, Pretty much, I will find myself turning down insanely good perks if it like lowers my protection some or something like that. Like I absolutely don't want any of that happening to me. Um, but it's cool in the way that like even the way that you ingest health is tampered with. It'll, you know, you'll lose proficiencies to where it's like a large silphium. Typically, at any point in time, if your silphium um, integrity or your repair integrity is normal, will probably just refill you, if not get you almost. But there are items that can degrade that, but or there's some that will just continually improve that to where even a small one will get you like a ton of health. So, right. there's just so much customization in this game that like goes without explanation that you just kind of pick up on just by moving through the world. And I love that there's so many elements of this game that are self-explanatory because of how Celine, like I mentioned earlier, would understand those things because she's been in this loop hundreds of Mm -hmm. times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a... It's a strength and a weakness at times because I think you're right. A lot of these core mechanics and a lot of these pickups and things... um, They're not fully explained, but easy to grasp in the first couple of seconds of, like, you know, of interacting with them. There are other things like a lot of the um, devices in rooms that you find that you may not understand what they do, even the first couple of times you use it. Um, And I'm talking about things like um, the, the Reclaimer or, like, the bed that you sleep on, mm, which yeah. sometimes will reveal health and sometimes fucking doesn't, and there's no explanation for that shit. Um, <laughs> or, uh, what's it called? The uh, uh, It's effectively a save state where if you die, you'll return to that point, but the game doesn't explain that to you in any sort of concrete way.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of that. Like, yeah. just having to kind of experiment and, like... And I think I think I like that a lot because I think there's two of those like bed things. There's one that like gives you health and stuff, and then there's one that's like it'll give you something, but it's gonna hurt you. And by the way, you don't have any control or know what that thing is, and maybe right. it'll give you something. So which it's is like, why
0: I never fucked with it the entire time playing with it. Yeah. I did that once. It took half my health, and it gave me a consumable, and I went fine.
1: All right, <laughs> no, no Fuck thank you, you. Then, um, but yeah, I. I liked that, like going up to that thing, because like ether in this game feels so damn valuable. There's yeah. yet a fucking other mechanic that I haven't even touched on. This that is it a it's ether, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. Occasionally, throughout the world, you find these like little glowing purple balls that have like these these white sparks coming off of them, and it's ether, and you effectively use these to like. Either, um, not buy consumables, because that's what you use obelisks for, which we still haven't talked about that either. um, but like, I love the use of ether because, like in the it has like a tangible feel because it helps explain consistency in the wor- in her world. It's the only thing in this world that carries and functions in the same way that her loop does, mm-hmm. and I find that really fascinating in a way that's like. Uh, what is this <laughs> like? Kinda, and I'm trying to think of like how I've thought tons of times. Like how does this stuff tie into like the overarching narrative that the game has? Like what would this thing be that like she's picking up? What does it represent as it like she carries it through with her and it heals malignancy? Like these little balls of light and memories or what whatever they could be. I really thought that was cool that there's like these. You effectively carry them with you, run to run. Even if you die and you never use them, they they're permanent. Uh, but yeah. you use them to like purge malignancy from things, to use them to buy uh, upgrades, things like that. So I I I like that a lot. I was really big fan of the ether in the game because I always felt like a little nugget of happiness every time you found one.
0: Yeah. And then you go
1: on runs where you're, there's none, and then you'll go on runs where there's fifty. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you can use them to you know.
0: You're, you're sort of encouraged to save as many of of them as you can on a run, especially early on, because that's what you use to unlock new artifacts and things and add them into the pool for later runs. So it, it became a real choice to use one to, you know, get a boost of health or to to save at a certain point um, where dropping six of them felt like, <gasps> OK, yeah, got it.
1: Gotta make this one count now. <laughs> yeah, dude. It did. Like I like there was when I was playing uh just like a few days ago on PC, I was I had done like tons of runs and I hadn't spent any of them. I had like 36 of them like banked up. And I still was like unwilling to like drop four or five mm. or whatever it is for like the save state in the in the area. I was just like, I just don't think it's worth it. Like um <laughs> i do want to mention this because i think it's funny the game has this like really so like there's the obelettes that like essentially it's basic uh money that drops from the enemies you use it to like buy stuff um your consumables and extra lives and whatnot and you can also use them to like expand your health or your health bar things like that um and buy certain perks like protection or defenses or damage outputs and it's very expensive. Everything in this game is very expensive. Like You yep. don't walk into a room and kill anything and walk into the next one and buy something. It's like you essentially have to clear a whole fucking like zone before you're able to buy literally anything. Yeah. Um, and you're going to have to turn down four other things you want in order to buy the one thing that you really need. <laughs> I, I'm glad I'm not the only one that noticed that. It is like either everything here is dog shit and I just have a million ovulates <laughs> or... I need everything on this lineup. Like it, the game mm-hmm. is terrible at that. <laughs> um, but the there's this machine where it's like if you have like ten ether, you can trade it in for like a thousand obelits or something like that. It's like this balance system. How yeah. horrendously unbalanced is that thing? Like <laughs> no one is going to trade. I think it's like it's like ten for like a hundred obelits or something like that. It's- yeah, ten for
0: like two hundred or a hundred or two hundred—I can't remember which. I'll—I'll um, I'll say as I got further into my runs, that became much more viable. Um, I found I wasn't using ether as much because I had unlocked like everything you could get from, you know, run to run, um, which meant that I'd, I generally had like some ether just sitting in my like tank and. it didn't have shit to spend it on so picking up using that to spend on oblets for an artifact that i really needed you know something like high cost like the uh the the resin synthesizer which takes it from you know needing three to needing two to upgrade your health that that was an easy trade to make true um that's fair yeah that would one of my favorite things about this game is that I felt like um, the strategies and the way I approached this game from run to run uh, really evolved, um, or got more honed. You know, It felt like every run was a learning experience, and because it was so clear what my cause of death was... You know, It felt like every time I went back to the start, I was armed a little bit better for the next time. Um, and, and that's not always the case. And I think if this game had been a little bit more punishing or enemies have been more aggressive or more difficult or like, I don't know, it, it so could have easily been an unfair game. And for me, Returnal never felt unfair which i think is so
1: difficult of a balancing act yeah i i <laughs> i think there were definitely parts like i said that i think it felt unfair but like the game is totally okay with you thinking that because later <laughs> on you come maybe back that's a better way to put it <laughs> well you'll you'll come back to these areas that feel like absolute you'll feel like just suck and then, like, you come mm. back and you had a better run or different weapons and you're just like, I, like, manhandled that. Like, <laughs> was it always this easy? Like, sometimes it feels like there's an actual paradigm shift in, mm. the, in, like, the difficulty for those zones, but it really is just perfectly balanced and it is really crucial for you to play the game that you're most comfortable playing. And I like that about the game is that there's not one way. If you want to play with the, you know, electro pylon thing, pylon driver, whatever it's called, awesome that's cool even in those later areas where it's flying around good for you like if you could pull that off that's amazing because like in those later areas especially because i don't feel like the the later areas i think they're very well designed but i don't think they're as fun to play as the first areas are Um, i would agree yeah and i feel like that becomes crucial because as you're locked in to being Celine, and like i don't know if you felt this way but in those last areas i had like a um as i was moving from like room to room because like you can't see the whole map it kind of unlocks as you're moving through as you're moving from room to room i was like all right like i'm out of health like um i'm my health bars halved. i don't have any items like i'm scrounging i'm scavenging as i'm going through and i'm getting anxious room to room mm-hmm. because i'm like this is getting harder and I'm not, I'm not getting new weapons. I'm not getting anything. So like, that that sense of like anxiety as I'm moving through, was not a negative for me. It was a, it was a very positive because I was like less focused on those environments. And as cool as don't get me wrong, the underwater environment's sick. Like it looks, it looks really cool. But it, oh, it just doesn't yeah. have the same sense of environment as those others do. At least for me in the beginning. Um, yeah, I didn't like, click I, with any of the enemies
0: in the in the underwater section as well where it, none of them felt particularly fun to fight and especially that big beefy octopus motherfucker whose tentacles in the bottom and then just two fists up top <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> fuck that dude <laughs> i hope he's listening to this fuck you i <laughs> uh, honestly like the underwater area was so cool because the environment is very dark it's like it looks like you're you know, walking on the ocean floor, kind of. But it's everything, like, half the enemies that you fight in that aren't not even in viewable distance. They're, like, shooting at you from a million miles away, and you're just, like, shooting into the darkness at something that's, like, coming at you, and you're like, all right, like, so it was... I was trying to dig at, like, what the intent was there, because it's, like, why because it's such a drastic change from the rest of the game. Everything else is like really in your fucking face and like mm. lasers are going off and there's like enemies with swords chasing you that like come up out of the ground and warp everywhere and then you get into the ocean and you're just like neat like there's la- vibing. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I think the That's game is a great point. create creativity Spiraled at the end, but not in like a bad way. like because like I said, I was focused on like getting to that end. and I feel like as celine, like, she probably felt very similar in those moments because she's like she's chasing white shadow, she gets white shadow, and then she's like, okay, well now I gotta go down Mm. here and it's like where where is this thing like i'm getting so frustrated and that's how i felt i was like am i going to survive or i'm gonna have to do this all over again and i feel like that's exactly how Celine would feel like is this something i'm gonna have to redo this is a
0: pretty good i'm i'm glad you're touching on this um because i think at, at a certain point the progression of the game makes more sense narratively than it does gameplay wise it makes sense from a narrative perspective that this game would end in an underwater sequence. You know, this is the sort of seat of Celine's trauma, the car crash where uh, she goes over the bridge, whether or not she's the mom or the child in the back or both, who fucking knows, that doesn't matter. But um, this is sort of the seat of whatever sort of intense guilt she feels it is... um, in that moment. So returning to, you know, that, that underwater moment makes sense. Where it Mm. doesn't make sense is, uh, from a gameplay perspective. And I say this as an incredibly bitter person, one of the mid game pickups that you get enables you to move through hazardous materials, like, lava or like i don't know big red sections and i went fucking red, and then jumped into a pool and died
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah dude i know because i did the exact that... same thing even on my second run like my second time playing through on pc i was like oh yeah i got that thing now geet <laughs> <laughs> fuck <laughs> The
0: last thing you're able to jump in is a regular pool. And from a story perspective, that makes total sense. From a gameplay perspective, that is jarring, and you're going to take a hit there just because.
1: Yeah, I will say, though, luckily the item you need to go in the water is not far from there. Like, no, it's, it's not. It's, it's very close gameplay-wise. Um, yeah, it's that's- It's the next one
0: you pick up, but there's going to be a moment of disconnect for you.
1: Yeah, I uh, I don't know, man. Like, I I love that progression. I like I like the like. I loved when you'd find new items, like the sword and like the environmental hazards, the underwater things. That they were like these things that she would just like latch on, and it would physically hurt her for yeah. a moment. That I thought that was that was neat. Like the idea of the pain. It matched the whole things with the parasites, which um, we've touched on on like in passing but essentially like the this game has like this this perk system to where it's like pluses and minuses you find these parasites you these weird like i don't know, like everything else in this game it's some type of weird octopus like creature <laughs> but this this time it's like a mosquito cockroach i don't know it's gross and weird but essentially it like latches onto her with like eight little limbs and then it grants you like a perk but also will have a disadvantage. Um, And I like those because, like, that... I think those are, like, some of the core, like, mechanics that the game was built off of. Like, having a plus and minus system, it's something not a lot of games have. Most games nowadays are focused on making you bigger, better, always. Like, Mm -hmm. and there's no regression. And Returnal is just completely okay with being, like we're only going to give you regression this run. Like, he will never be as good as you were whenever you started in this run. So fuck you. Yeah. And, and I, I like that. You'll, be, you'll be better at one thing. You're going to be dog shit at this
0: other thing. Like, you you decide. What do you want to give up? Um, and I really like those kind of parasites because they can really cater your playstyle. You know, it, it forces you to get a little bit experimental. Mm-hmm. Um, I the the farthest i think it goes is disabling your ability to pick up healing items but you get a little bit of health back on hits against enemies um that changes up the entire way you play the game
1: it's awful but you can do it that way yeah yeah or like the uh especially in the first zone this is really crucial like there'd be one that would like you increase your damage output by 20%, but every single enemy drops a pool of acid. Yeah. it's like, I would find myself like, I'd be like, yeah, I'm taking that. And then like six times, I would run over a pool of acid. I'm like, fuck me. I'm
0: such a fucking (laughs)
1: moron. Yeah, no, I did that all the
0: time to the point where anything that had like the, but enemies drop a pool of acid. It was like, well, that's probably good for other people, but I'm an idiot. (laughs) Yeah,
1: same, same. So that's not happening. (laughs) I... Oh, that's so funny that you call that one. <laughs> <laughs> I um I have to say this too about the parasites. I found it to be very also narratively focused. Mm. This idea that there are give and takes as like a mother or a father, like I can resonate with this. It's like I want to do this thing. I will have to sacrifice like time with my child. And that's a reoccurring theme in this, especially as you see in like the the uh, memories of the child when like in the kitchen, the drawing, things like that, being like completely absent and having to sacrifice the things that are very important to you f- and that to be able to do these, but they will have a, of absolute detrimental cost is just a reoccurring theme of parenthood. Like mm-hmm. I will have to eat very poorly tonight so i could like i have i have made the occasional sandwich with 3 day old lunch meat because like payday was right around the corner like we that sure. those types of things are very real as a parent and like the especially like having like an absentee parent in this situation i could see how that theme of like a parasite or viewing those things as parasitic in nature even all the way down to you know, viewing a kid as parasitic in nature is like a theme from this game. That's very relevant. And I don't think that's unintentional. Um, no, I I think that's fair. You know, I, I want
0: to watch a hour and a half Disney movie with my kids. Um, but all my enemies will drop a pool of acid upon death. <laughs> like that's a
1: hard choice as a parent. <laughs> 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 all right, all right. I see. I see. You don't agree with that point. That's fine. That's no I do. <laughs> but uh, I'm still focused on
0: how much the pill of acid <laughs> fucked me up.
1: <laughs> it's to the point you're like very aware of where you're walking IRL like you're like oh <laughs> <yes>. god. <laughs> Look, I it is kind of it is kind of karmic in a way.
0: Um I think that's a good way of looking at it of like, you know. There is a benefit to this, but there's a flip side to it. Um, Yeah. And that feeds into the um, malignancy as a concept in this game as well, where certain pickups or things that you need, not even things that you need, things that would just be nice to have, an extra bit of health or something like that, has a chance of giving you a random uh, debuff. And that gives you effectively, like, a side quest to try to, you Mm -hmm. know, undo it. Um, I shied away from these very, very much at the beginning of this game. And then started to really sort of rely on them. Um, Yes. Same. Same. Like, I love this system where it feels like you're giving yourself these sort of self-imposed challenges. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I haven't seen a game
1: do something like this, and I thought it was really cool. My only complaint with the system in general was that it only let you have three. Like, yes. I wanted more challenge out of some of these areas especially it's like this is the 10th time in the last two hours i've run area one like for fuck's (laughs) sake like i will pick up every single malignant item i will smack every obelet stack like that's malignant everything but then i would stop doing it because i would just take damage the next Mm -hmm. time as a like i don't i felt like the system was balanced enough that having more than three malfunctions would have been completely fine like, don't get me wrong, it would have been a difficult, difficult thing to overcome. Um, sure. But I don't think any of those malignancies or malfunctions were designed in a way that could not be, couldn't stack. And because I was trying to think if there's any that, like, if you had two of these, like, it would literally be impossible to, to get there. But I don't, I can't think of any that would, that'd be that way. So I don't know. It just felt, it felt pretty limiting to only let me have those. Um, but it was very it was rewarding to be like, okay, outside of like the ones that were like kill twenty enemies, I was like, yeah, I'd get get there. But it's like, yeah, exa- kill I'm gonna five get five enemies simultaneously yeah. or something, or kill five sets of enemies simultaneously. That shit was fun. Like finding yeah. ways to you know kill two or three enemies at a single time and just really be mm-hmm. creative with the tool set that you had. Sometimes that would like force you to change weapons. And yeah, you know, it was or you'd look cool. for and a different
0: alt weapon or things like that. And then you'd have to think like, okay, do I want to change up my entire weapon just to get rid of this malignancy? Can I can I live with it? Shit yeah. like that. Yeah. Um uh, this game offers so many like minute to minute really interesting choices. Like thorny sort of problems that there's no one correct answer for. You just sort of have to feel
1: out like you know what am I personally good at? <laughs> I I am glad you said that because that was the next point I wanted to make was that this game resonates differently with literally everyone that plays it. Mm -hmm. There are, I know some people that bounce off this game fucking harder than a trampoline. Like, and I know some people that like, this is one of like, this was my 2021 game of the year. Like it, it is so good. Um, and many other outlets thought it was as well. And some other outlets thought it was dog shit. Like everyone has such a different experience with this game because in a way that like I was talking about other, some games are all about like making you bigger, better all the time. And other games are literally like all about choices like Pentiment. Like it is, there's just polar opposite game types. This game finds like a wedge in the middle to where, while it's not very story driven, it's got a strong narrative. It's got tons of choices and everyone is impacted by those choices in in just a completely different way and also makes those choices in a completely different way just based off of their general ideas of how the game should be played or their ideas of what perks are more important than other perks. And I love that so much about this game because in the same way that they don't care, the, the point of this game is they relay this. It's not to make you play the game very similarly. It's to let you experience it in a different way. And that allows every single person who plays this game to have the spider web of experience and mm-hmm. it just everyone has that so there's just a billion different stories out there in a way that celine has experienced atropos in a billion different ways and is is just lost in it and i just i love that like that like similar like like you said the like everything just like runs together as you're talking to different people about their experiences of this game you in every way, whenever we would talk about this, I could relate to exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I know that I had a completely different experience with it for the rest of the time, and I don't think there's a lot of games out there that can give that same, um, that sense, like, like communal difference, I guess is a way to say that. Like, it's it's weird. Yeah.
0: What's really fun about it is that, like, all the choices that you make feel impactful. Um you know, not like you're just picking between two different stats, but really like every choice is sort of like a make or break. Um, when we think about decision-making generally in games, uh, at least for the games that I play, generally those choices are like narrative or, you know, they ask you a question about ethics. And a lot of the decision-making in Returnal is, um, strategic and, uh, it forces you to be sort of analytic. Um, And that's a fun way of thinking, you know, and it challenges you in a way that, um, that I haven't really been challenged in a long time where like, you know, you have to really think about like, what am I personally good at? What will benefit me the most based on the things that I have right now? Um, You know, and, and, that was always really engaging and kept you on this very, like this sort of tightrope, you know, I personally think any sort of whatever kind of combination of perks and weapons you end up with in, in returnal is probably viable, but not for everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's different skills. Look, if you put the, the fucking, uh, Dreadbound in my hand, no matter what perks that thing has, it's i I'm not gonna know what the fuck to do with it. I still don't get how that thing works. I think it's like
1: a <laughs> I think it's like a bow and arrow, I guess I haven't figured it out yet <laughs> no i've i there's like four weapons in the game that like I touched once, and I was like, nope, I'm not comfortable with this going back mm-hmm. like, and I'm sure <laughs> the that there's other people that like felt the exact same way. There were weapons that, like, I literally looked at and I was like, that thing looks fucking weird. I'm not touching it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I I agree. I I like that, like, the freedom of choice that, like, opens up, For like you said, from an analytical perspective, it forces you to use, like, to make choices just way differently than other games do. And also, yeah. consistently and multiple times, like, every minute. Like, uh, just down to like, when do I dash? Did I have a parasite that like makes it harder to dash? I don't know how many times I picked up something. I was like, yeah, I can shave like two seconds off my dash re like mm. reload time. Yeah, no, I can't. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> that's a perk I avoid. Like, or uh, I should yeah. say, a malfunction I avoid almost entirely.
0: That's a mistake you only make once. Of yeah. like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> how often am I dashing? Oh, I'm dashing a lot. <laughs>
1: Um, I want to ask you about the bosses of this game because yeah. I think like I can't think of another now again I don't have a lot of experience here so audience don't crucify me for saying this I've, I definitely don't have a lot of experience in the bullet hell genre but what little I do I think this is some of the most fun boss designs capable of being placed in a bullet hell environment like, especially in a 3D space. Like, I I had so much fun with these bosses. And they're all different. They're all, like, environmentally fucking insane. And especially, like, the third boss. Like, I felt like I just accidentally swallowed, like, a bag of mushrooms. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? Um, but, like... I loved every boss in this. And they are all difficult in their own right. And it's cool because everyone struggles on, like, a different boss more than others. Like, Mm -hmm. hands down, by far, I died on Freik, the first boss, more than any other boss in the game. Like, by a large margin. Um, I don't even think I ever died by fighting the, the second boss or the fourth boss. Or no, the fifth boss. The final boss of the game, the underwater boss. I have never died on that boss. No, Um, I don't think anybody has. But, uh, the second boss either, but, like, dude, Frike beat my ass probably, like, 20 times in a row uh, Mm -hmm. before I actually was able to clear that first area. And I think that, like, that difficulty spike is definitely intentional, because it's just, like, the game is only gonna get harder as it goes on. Um, It's setting you up. yeah. But it it switches things up. But uh, what did you think about the bosses of the game? I loved each of them. Um...
0: I thought they were well suited to their environment. Um like you said, you know, for for bullet hell shooters in 3D, these are these are brilliantly designed. Um I I, I completely agree that for me Nemesis uh the third boss was a, such a standout.
1: Oh, so um, good.
0: Yeah, it was unbelievable, like such a spectacle. Um one of the things that I think having played this game into the dirt that I sort of wished we got a little bit more of was, um, some boss variety between runs Mm -hmm. because these bosses serve the narrative. And I think this game ultimately is about narrative, Mm -hmm. um, which limits how good of a roguelike it can be at times, um, to the point where, you know, in, in later runs, you can skip bosses entirely and you don't have to fuck with any of them until like the last boss who is a pushover. Yeah. Um, it would have been fun to see, you know, even if, um, for I guess, the, the first boss you fight the entire time, maybe having him have different sort of attributes or attack patterns, yeah. um, to, to add a little bit of variety to it, um like basically i guess my only complaint is that like i wish there were more of them <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i no i agree i would i would have liked you know cuz i know I'd, i try not to talk about dark souls but like one of the one of the things i don't think was, anybody
0: would ever accuse you of not trying to talk about dark
1: souls <laughs> <laughs> fair fair one of the things it, that like really with, either of us <laughs> <laughs> with with fryke one of the things i had to stop was to be like okay, stop trying to just dodge everything and start paying attention to what he's doing. And like mm. when I st- instantly, it, it was like the next time I beat him. Like yeah. I was able like just analyze the attack patterns, dodge when he, he charges at you and you're fine. Um, but like, I think in terms of like what sticks out the most to my head, like obviously the second or the third boss, like the whole time, because it's it's like a platformer, it's a shooter, it's a bullet hell, it's like i like i there's just so many different like categories that game falls in but like i will say i think the most fun boss was the second one. I love the idea of this guy that is just there to he's using his music to torment you and the entire time you are just a nuisance to him like playing this organ. And is that the second? No, that's a fourth boss. Yeah, that's fourth. Yeah. So the whatever boss had the the, so the fourth boss. But yeah, like the whole time he's like more interested in playing this like organ that's creating this like amazing music during the boss arena. and It's like it's like a struggle for me because it's like the longer I let this boss battle goes on, go on, like the music is absolutely dope. Like I want to keep listening to it. But All like
0: this dude wants to do is play "Don't Fear the Reaper," and on a spiritual level, I understand
1: that. <laughs> Look, I man, fucking has to be get done, it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: by yeah, the but- way, we've made it two hours into this podcast, not one of us has made a joke about more cowbell, and I, I think we should be commended for that.
1: Frankly, ah, I'll let I'll, I'll let the audience uh, tell us tell us that. Soon. Honestly, no, though, I'm, I'm directing to, them to tell us that <laughs> uh, commend us in the Discord right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, this is just one of those games to where, like, I'm curious to see what the reception is like to this because um, I know, like I said, very. F- I have a few friends that have played this game, and each of them have had a different experience with it entirely, and like the people out there that have found this episode and they're listening, like, I want to know. Like, I must yeah. know what you think about this game. Because um, it's just, it it just hits everyone so uniquely. I did not, in any capacity, expect you to platinum this game. Like, I thought this would be like a, you get to the end and you're like, dude, that was cool. Like, I had a good time with it. But, like, what was it? Like, what drove you to that, like, need to, was it just the desire to play it more? or did you just like want to get the like I I'm just curious cuz you don't you're not typically like a completionist No, not generally. And and if
0: I platinum a game generally it has to be for me it has to be something that I super super enjoy and those achievements have to feel meaningful in some way. Um and there's a lot of games fall short of that where it feels like that game is just, you know, padding out the time that I spend with it yeah this game I wanted to spend more time with it and it started with me wanting to get as much narrative as humanly possible from it so I knew like I was going to beat the game and also I wanted to get like you know the secret ending or whatever just to see it that'll get you 80 percent of the way there and then I wanted to get, you know, the audio logs and see what was in there. And, you know, it, it, it started from me really wanting to sink into this world as much as possible. And also, it's just fun to play. You know, mm-hmm. it's something that I could, I could boot up for an hour and just take a run at it and see what I get. Um, you know, and then by the end where I was just hunting for... Uh, I, the last thing I had to do was there were certain rooms that had to spawn in in the underwater level. Um, so I was just sprinting through, you know, biome for not picking up anything, diving into a pool, <laughs> and just basically starting <laughs> at the end game with the beginning pistol. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Which you can do. It is possible. It sucks, but you can do it.
1: Yeah, uh Man. I'm just like this was the game that like I whenever I played it with Justin's PlayStation, that was mm. like, I did not have enough time with it. And I gave him his PlayStation back cause he picked it up on the way back through. So only had like two days with it. And I probably only played it for about six, seven hours during that time. Sure. Um, but like, I was like, okay, I got to pick up a PS five. Like again, <laughs> like this is it. Um, and I was hankering to play demon souls again. Um, the remaster still is probably one of the best looking games on any console yet so um but anyway that that aside like i thought about this game i still think about this game all the time like Mm -hmm. because like that that subtext of the narrative and how fun it is to play how frustrating it can be, how satisfying it is to, to conquer some of these rooms. And it's like, you just like, I don't know if you did this, but I would institute like personal challenges on like the star rooms that were like, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go in here and I'm not going to get damaged. And I'm going like, to yeah. like, that was like a goals for me that stuck with me. And like, I'll be playing this other Like I'm playing Tunic right now. And like, mm-hmm. I've twice now been like, it off and i went to play returnal like i was just like (laughs) i just want to go back to this game and keep playing it i love that it has that like innate replayability and i'm i hope it hits other people that way too i'd like to think it does because it won some game of the year awards but you know gaming journalism is dead and dog shit so that's not really reliable metric so um returnal has has helped me
0: realize one of the biggest metrics i have towards like shooters in general I think. And that question is, has this game played enough of doom 2016 returnal has played (laughs) enough doom 2016. Um, And if, by the way, if, if this gameplay is something that you've really vibed with, you know, where everything, every threat in front of you is clear and legible. Um, and threatening and aggressive, and you're constantly on the back foot, constantly moving and cycling through just what's available to you. Uh, Doom's going to be your shit. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so, I don't know. I think going forward, that's going to be my metric trick, is uh, has this game played enough Doom 2016?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess I'm going to have to play Doom 2016. So. Yeah. Yeah, Michael, it looks like you are. <laughs> I started it. I just was like, there's just a lot of red in this game, and I hate the color red. So, just... that is a,
0: I've heard a lot of criticism <laughs> to that game, and that is a new one.
1: <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> there is red. Yeah. It's a lot of red. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, I love this game. I love it to tears. And this is one that, like, so, like, just recently, there's been, I know this has to feel very vindicating for you. Like, we have, we emotionally pushed someone to continue with Sekiro, <laughs> and they finally toppled Ishin. So, Darth Egg, good for you. I'm so happy for you. Shouts like,
0: out to Darth Egg, who fucking took that guy down.
1: Yeah, oh, like it's man. we've all been there and you've earned it. And like now, like goading Russ into playing Sekiro, like and now he's like miles ahead of where I was Just like when I was playing day. it. Yeah, like he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I took down this the uh the ogre and the, you know, whatever that dude's name is after with his little camp. Like, yeah, cool. And I was like, fuck me, right? No, there's 30 bucks gone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw
0: that as we, like, hit the record button. I was like, holy fucking shit, Russ got down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: He's charging through it. But, uh, no, uh, yeah. I say that because, like, the discussions that we have in this, like, we've seen it a few times now to where it's, like, people have listened to the episode and they're like, I'm going to try that game. And, like... Mm-hmm. Of all the games that we've we've touched on so far, a lot of them have been ones that like everyone's played, or that like they're critically acclaimed. And while this game was critically acclaimed, there's still so many people out there that haven't looked at it. Like yeah. now that this is on PC, like please, please, please play this game. Like, and by the way, don't sell yourself short because we also cover you know a lot of
0: undiscovered indie games. You know, not unlike Death Store or um, Ocarina of
1: Time. You know, shit that's kind of gone unnoticed. <laughs> I was wondering where the <laughs> where the punchline was in there. So <laughs> um but yeah, if you do play this game, like jump in the Discord in the link in the description and tell us what you think. Cause like yeah. this is it. And if you played it because of this podcast, one, thank you. That's a huge compliment. Um and like Come in and tell us about it because I want to know what you think about this game. If you're out there and listening to this and you're just like, I played this game and I'm not fucking joining yet another Discord. One, I get it. Like it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> one, it's emotionally right. taxing. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, but two, like I won't bother you. So, um, but yeah, man, like I, I just really like this game. Like it's just, it's not like a, perfect game there's definitely flaws with it like and we've talked mm. about a few of those but like all in all like if a game i have this much fun with it i've bought it on multiple consoles just for accessibility i have i continue to think about it i continue to come back to it like this is the type of game that like lives in my like top like library like if people were to be like give me it's not gonna be like top five games of all time because there's like no super deep emotional connection to it, but like it's definitely going to be on a list of like, I recommend this and it will always be for the, you know, for the time being.
0: Yeah. You know how I would describe it is like, if I had to put together a list of like 10 games to get to know me or like the kind of mm. shit that like, yes, um I vibe with. Um, this is a great example of the kind of shit that is going to like really stick with me. Both in terms of gameplay, and I like this style of narrative that is deeply interpretive and and uh, um, ambiguous. Like yeah. uh, this, this was hits across the board for me. Yes, um, and yeah, just just to echo what you're saying. If you have prior experience with this game, or you're listening to this podcast and want to check it out, um, would love to hear like how do you interpret this story or, you know, yes. what are, what are you bringing into it? Or like, is there a particular part of this game that really resonated with you? Um, yeah. Would, would love to hear your sort of experiences with it. Cause you're right. We've, we've gotten some uh, traction with things like Sekiro, which I think was initially sort of uh in- intimidating to a lot of people. And, and, once you get into it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once you get into it, you know you can find that maybe this is something that that you fuck with. So, yeah,
1: please, please, please talk to us. <laughs> yeah, if you're wondering what that awkward pause was when he said intimidated, I raised my hand, so that's what. Um... <laughs> that was all about but and then i immediately raised my hand as if michael was going for a high five
0: through the computer (laughs) (laughs) because i I just have one piece of lettuce rattling around my head instead of a brain (laughs) (laughs) um
1: you've you've talked a lot about like things with the games that we've what the games set out to accomplish and like a marker of success for these games being like did it set out like what was the was the intent clear and do we feel like it nailed it and i feel mm. like this game absolutely did that despite the ambiguity of the the narrative and it it still manages to like nail that like narrative focus and despite yeah. like not having like concrete explanations for every single thing in the game it nails that like inherent innate like um uh, uh, what's the word? Not reflex, but um, oh God, I'm so dumb. My, now my lettuce is showing. Um, <laughs> Instinct—the instinct that like uh, Celine would have um, from having like run the cycle so many times. Like yeah. it's just then having that like innate uh, understanding of all those things and and concepts that the game doesn't force feed you. I just the intent is very clear. And it nails exactly what it's trying to do. And I think that, like, that is such a, it's such a crucial marker of success. And I'm really glad that you've, you have enlightened me to that way of thinking, because it is very, it's a very good way to look at games. Yeah. And and
0: that's, that's a great point to bring up, because I will say this just as like a caveat, if you're listening to this and have heard of Returnal as like primarily a roguelike. I'm not sure I would describe it that way. I think it's primarily a third-person narrative-driven shooter. It has roguelike elements, but if you're going into it expecting the kind of you know wacky sort of variability between runs and endless sort of gameplay that that a roguelike can offer, you might find limitations there. Mm-hmm. You're playing this game primarily for the story, um, not for hundreds of hours of content like you know a, a roguelike might generally offer. Um yeah. even if it has those elements. Because that's not really its intent. It's it's trying to tell a story.
1: Yeah, and that I, I agree. And like everything about this game, like the art design, the combat, the level design, like all the way down like just to the little like the consumables, everything is just so nothing feels out of place in this game. It is just so mm-hmm. tightly knit into this like perfect tapestry of like narrative and gameplay, like it just they weave together so perfectly, so and it's not often you get a game that's like that well received um obviously it was pretty pretty well received initially, but the sales margins were so low because it launched at a time the PlayStation was like at a devastatingly hard, uh, I guess, point to get one. So Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm looking it up right now, and there were six. There were six PS5s available at the time. <laughs> um, so, and the six people that had them really liked this game.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, I'd, I don't know. I don't really know if there's much else to say about this game because it's just like, I think we've hit all the the key points but like just play it like just go out there and yeah, get it it's just, out on you could probably pick this up for like 18 bucks on playstation 5 if you have one i know it's still mm-hmm. probably 60 um, yeah it's still a recent release on pc yeah but give it a give it a couple of weeks and i you, know, you might be able to get it on a sale or something like that um but it is a sony first party coming to uh well i guess technically not first party but it is it is a playstation release Uh, on PC so it might be some time before it hits that sale marker but like all in all like the value is there don't let the fact that it's you know 20 bucks on PlayStation and more expensive on PC like dissuade you from thinking that it isn't worth the money because this game absolutely like kills it in terms of like value to dollar ratio like I said I still come back to this game and I've beaten it like three times total so could not agree more
0: well, Michael, I guess it's time for you to give us that uh,
1: that post game content sign off that we look for. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to run in, uh, run my spiel or bore anyone, so um, I'll just <laughs> tell everyone. I know you were looking for something for me there, but I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> you don't deserve. I know you it get off time. on being withholding. <laughs> Yeah, that's just what that's just what I tell Brittany to, to make her think I enjoy it, not ever getting it. So, oh my god! <laughs> um, but no, I've I already beat this point to death. Join the join the Discord, talk to us, leave us a five star review. Uh, check out the other shows on the Thirteen Palm Trees Network, and thank you to all of our generous uh, patrons who have have uh, donated to the show that allow us to do things like giveaways and things like that. Like I said, we just gave away two brand new releases um, on the last month so congrats to those winners and we're, we're looking forward to doing more things like that so uh, thank you to everyone and thanks for everyone to check out the episode I'm excited we we got around to doing this so uh, yeah, um, yeah. Now, you know Max no you give us that sweet sweet, sweet post games content sign off I had to stop myself from saying there's always Peng again, so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Alright, bye! Bye, (laughs) good night, everybody.